It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. Anywhere across the country, if you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in one of those two coordinates, 106.5 or 95.7, and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And... Uh, It's a pleasure to welcome to the show uh, Zach Melnick and Yvonne Driebert. Did I get that correct? You got it, Driebert. Yes, it's very classy. Yeah. (laughs) And it's a pleasure to have them both here. They're a director and producer of Striking Balance, airing on TVO. They're creators. And uh, they've been creating documentaries since about 2002, and they're best known for their history-focused work developed uh, collaboratively with communities. Another series, A Desert Between Us and uh, Us and Them, Raiders, Traitors, and Refugees in the War of 1812, was named an honorable mention for the Governor General's Award in 2013. And as their work evolved, Yvonne and Zach have become increasingly interested in drawing connections between the environments of our past and how we live today, which, of course, is very interesting. We're going to get into that uh, as we talk further. But after realizing they lived on the edge of one of Canada's first biosphere reserves, they set out to see what that meant in 2014. And Zach and Yvonne loaded into a cargo van. <laughs> Sounds like a 1960s episode or something. And explored how, <laughs> yeah, right, how eight <laughs> communities from across the country were figuring out how to include people in the conversation equation. And the first season of Striking Balance was the result. Now, Zach, as mentioned, he's the uh, acts as the writer, director, and cinematographer and editor, while Yvonne uh, assists with the writing but is primarily the lead producer, uh, motion graphics artist, and sound recordist. Welcome to the show, Zach and Yvonne. Thanks so much, David. Indeed, thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure, and I have to say it was a, a real pleasure to be able to, uh, to watch an episode of, of the show, uh, the one specifically uh, we're talking about uh, that that uh, is um, the Satu, the Biosphere Reserve, uh, episode one. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing place uh, in the Northwest Territories. And it's uh, one of Canada's newest biosphere reserves, which is like a UN designation um, that recognizes, you know, unique environments where communities are, you know, doing their best to tackle sustainability challenges. Yeah. And this is the first biosphere reserve in the world, actually, that's sort of entirely led by an indigenous uh, community. So it was yeah. really amazing to see what they're what they're up to there. You know, it's not only amazing to see what they're up to and and how they have done this and the work that they have done as a community uh, to preserve this. And and as we find out from this episode, um, it is one of the very, very few, if not the last, I guess, of of areas on the planet where you can just dip your your cup in the water and drink it and and the community there the Dene are are really uh adamant about making sure it stays that way but we we really find a, a really interesting history around this around the people around their connection to the water as of course everyone is connected to water but mm-hmm. but you know uh i get you know what what struck me about this was that this seems all too um, simple, 
I guess that's the word I'm like. It, it seems so simple that why have we not been doing this? Why 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 do we have to why do we have to go through you know to this this world we live in to see the pollution and and just you know it's take 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 from the planet mm. before mm. you know we come around to see uh, and thankfully this community is there and thank you for grabbing this story but thank you to the community for being a- being able to to allow us to see the story as well. Well, it's interesting that it seems, you know, simple a little bit from the outside, but the community has really spent, you know, decades and decades getting to this point of self-governance, you know, developing um, agreements and treaties that really allow them to take conservation um, and and apply the lessons from their grandfathers to to conservation on the land in a broad scale. Um, it's been a real struggle for them. And I mean, they've, they've had some pretty amazing success, but you know, this community really has gone through some really tough times to get here. Um, we learn from the film that, um, you know, there's been uranium mining mm-hmm. on on the Great Bear, on the lake, you know, and it's it's been a real struggle for the community to finally say, you know, they're in a place now through, you know, self-governance and and a number of treaty agreements that say, you know, we we are going to make this choice in the future, whether, you know, what g- development is good for the community and what's not good for the community. But it's it's really been a long road for them, you know, going going all the way back to to World War Two and, and of course, um, colonization before yeah. that. So it's a really interesting. They've really taken the next step in decolonizing conservation. It's yes. pretty amazing. And I think that's what I was referring to. It certainly didn't. I didn't mean to make the the idea of what they were doing simple. Uh, oh, I think no, what I was referring no. to was the, the <laughs> idea that, that their approach, as many indigenous people, have always been connected to the land and put the land first, put the earth first. And, and, and you know, this world has gone so far down the other direction of just taking mm-hmm. away. And so it's really mm-hmm. great to be able to see this and meet the people and see the people. And then, and then get to, to meet uh, uh, and see how, they, like you said, Working with with uh, the government of Canada uh, to to preserve and and make sure that that uh, that that the fish. I mean, what what an amazing amazing lake. You know, I, I really yeah. I really want to say I'd love to go there, but I don't want to go there because we don't want anybody to go there. We want to preserve it, right? <laughs> well, that's that's. Um... I think they would would welcome you because they're very welcoming uh, people there right. in 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 Delaney. Um, but they absolutely recognize what they have there mm. is very special mm. on a, on a worldwide worldwide basis. Um, mm. And just because of their geography and you know many 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 ge- generations of recognizing how important this. Um, water is to the world really mm. um they've that 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 was our s- sense that 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 we got that it really was the water was really the the key to this this push to get this um international recognition um of the biosphere reserve that that uh, community was really prepared to sort of um step up and and do their part for the world in, mm-hmm. in protecting this this incredible um source of pristine water um for everybody really yeah and david i do think if you do want to go fishing there uh, <laughs> there's been a lot of work done to uh to really have a sustainable um sports fishing industry that the community is a part of and has shares in around with you know fishing lodges around the lake so if you do want to go and catch one of the world's biggest trout and get a really good uh selfie with it and then release it i'm sure you'd be welcome <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, uh, yeah, no kidding. They were uh, amazing. Uh, there really does seem something very magical, as was pointed out in the film, about that place. Uh, I wouldn't be so much interested in, in the fishing side. I'm, I'm fascinated just with the awe of the place, you know? Um, and, and so... You know, there you 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 got some great, uh, I guess, probably drone shots of, of looking <laughs> down on the lake, and it really made me wonder how deep is that lake? Because it's so incredibly clear. You see these wonderful fish, uh, you know, in this beautifully clear water swimming there. Uh, that's an excellent question. The answer is very deep, but yeah. I don't know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the eighth. Um, largest freshwater lake in the world i believe it's yeah. just a tiny bit smaller than than lake huron okay and um you know if i can just share one more thing that really struck me about about the lake mm. it's that uh you know we've done a lot of work here in ontario around the great lakes and you know you'd hear mm -hmm. stories from um indigenous communities or you'd read Jesuit reports, you know, mm. from long ago about the abundance of the landscape mm. and the waters and um, how they just people were able to rely, of course, on on the natural uh, world to live and thrive. And it it sort of feels like going back in time yeah. when you're there, because, yep. you know, every group of families has a net and they can still go and get that fish. Uh, and it. <laughs> For me, it's like it's oh, I've heard these stories before, mm -hmm. but now in the Great Lakes, um, you know, they only have a small percentage of those big deep water fish left. Mm -hmm. And so I think it really hits home about why that's a, an important, important place. You know, you just touched on something about the big fish and, and the fish themselves, which was another fascinating element that we learn uh, because of the study that's going on there uh, with the traditional and the science. And you find out that that one of the one of the things that make it such a magical place is the life longevity of these fish up to 65 years. But they don't become uh, able to reproduce until they're what, around 17 or 18 years of age. Yeah. Yeah. That's just a, it's I think it's a, an, an adaption to the uh, extremely cold temperatures, basically. Mm -hmm. um, but it does make it a, a fragile place. So mm -hmm. you, you, you know, don't want to take out too many fish, <laughs> but but they're you know, they got that well under control there. Yeah, that, that sounds wonderful. Uh, I want to go back to just uh, something Yvonne referred to as they're going out for their uh, Scooby-Doo expedition. <laughs> you guys said you, you learned you were on a, you lived on a biosphere. Which which one was that? Was that this one? Is that? Uh, no. So we live on the Bruce Peninsula, okay. uh, just outside of the Niagara Escarpment Biosphere Reserve. Okay. Um, so we, but we we'd run into the biosphere concept mm -hmm. um, working our way across Ontario, right. working with communities on our Ontario visual heritage project series that we also uh, did with, with TVO for a long time mm. uh, before that. So right. we kept running into them and um, it just seemed like a great idea, you know, communities uh, working towards sustainable development, um, including people as part of conservation. Um, it just seems to make sense. And mm. it seemed to be something important that um, people were dealing with at the local level. You know, you sort mm. of hear about these problems at these big levels and it's like, oh man, you know, they, mm. they seem sort of um, insurmountable maybe. But if mm. you sort of take it piece by piece and at the at the community level or at the, at the ground level, then these things become a lot less scary. Right. Right. 
I think I think the show really is, you know, it is kind of it's been kind of a rough time for everybody um, lately. And this is definitely the show is definitely hopeful um, in that, you know, we can figure it out. So it does put across a message of hope. So that's kind of what we hope people get out of it. Oh, yeah. It's and of course, beautifully shot. It's wonderful. Uh, really interesting to meet and see the people he, hear the different generational approaches as well. You get the sense, of course, the, the, the residential school system has an impact on the community. That's talked about, about losing the language, about uh, learning, l l uh, losing the ability to live off the land and, and how that community has, has uh, brought that back by getting uh, the youth out on the water as much as possible. You learn all of these wonderful things uh, and how, again, uh, you know, I thought one of the most beautiful parts of the story was the, the, um, the elder woman who was teaching the young and how she uh, came back from residential school. And uh, she was being taught, I think, by her mother or her grandmother. Grandmother, who, yeah. Who was blind. And yeah. she taught her how to uh, uh, um, uh, 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 cut a fish up by... Um, but just by touch and feel. And I thought, wow, that's that, what a beautiful moment. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Elder Camilla um, Tucho uh, is, is an amazing person who, and as our understanding is that she's been doing that for years and years and years, mm -hmm. um, helping young people in the community there um, mm -hmm. make sure that they know their language and that they know how to properly and respectfully uh, clean fish um and that's just whole you know part of the whole system of how that works there mm -hmm. and i i think they've the elders have been really successful too because when we were talking to the elders and they were sharing with us about how important it is to 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 take care of the water and to take care of the land we were hearing those same lessons from the youth from the kids so it's not just a couple of people in this community who are who are concerned about taking care of the great bear you know it's mm. the whole community and it's how they govern um everything it's mm. part of everything they do so it's pretty like it was pretty amazing to 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 hear that right you're listening to element fm in toronto and ottawa that's 106.5 in toronto 95.7 in ottawa and anywhere across the country if you download the Radio Player Canada app. Please don't go away because we will be right back with more right here on Element FM right after this. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, anywhere across the country if you download the Radio Player Canada app. With me here on the show is Zach Melnick and Yvonne Driebert. And uh, they are the people who created Striking Balance. And we're talking about uh, um, the season two. Um, and uh, today, being United Nations World Habitat Day, uh, TVO is presenting the online premiere of Striking Balance season two. Uh, the first episode of the season is now available for free on uh, TVO's YouTube channel and will be broadcast again tomorrow night at 7 p.m., on TVO, and we hope from this conversation we can entice you to go and watch it because it's fascinating, and it will not. It it, it is a bit of eye candy, you know. There's some beautiful, beautiful <laughs> scenes that you get to see, uh, wonderful characters, and it's 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 just it's it is full of hope. It is full of hope because of the story of how the community is is 
it, it has taken this upon themselves to make sure that they preserve the lake, preserve the fish, and uh, and and that whole connection to the land. Um, so, Zach and Yvonne, thank you again for for bringing this to us. And um, you know the the uh, the episode that uh, we're talking about, episode one, the the Satu, the Biosphere Reserve. And it's Great Bear Lake, uh, as, as we may know it as well. And I, I think, uh, Zach, you said that it's the eighth largest freshwater lake in the world? I do believe so, yes. <laughs> How much time did you guys get to spend up there? Um, probably about a um, month and a month half, and a half? Two, yeah. two months kind of thing. So mm-hmm. quite a bit, actually, in, in the whole scheme of things of trying to, you know, create a cross-Canada series in a limited amount of time but uh the first time we went david was february though oh, yeah. well i got that sense because i did see the winter uh shots and i went okay they were up there for either a long yeah. time or you know uh yeah a couple of times so it, it was a little bit chilly i, I can bet. tell you that i bet yeah for sure most of the time though was in the summertime uh mm-hmm. that we were there and we were and really the highlight was getting to go out onto the lake uh with people from delaney um mm-hmm. who are really in charge of even when the even when researchers from the department of fisheries and oceans or whatnot with that we would go out in in a group you know the mm-hmm. people from the satu otane were really the the folks in in charge of all 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 movement around the lake and they're experts at it you know mm-hmm. for them to go out on a, a five or a nine hour boat ride, you know, just across the lake is completely normal. You know, it would mm. be like us deciding hmm, today I'm going to boat across Lake Superior, you know, <laughs> but that was that's absolutely normal mm. to them. So they're real lo- logistical ex- experts um, in, in that in that sense. And so being able to to go out with them and travel those really long mm. distances across the lake was really a massive um highlight yeah. um for for us and it right. included one like two week stint um out there uh with with the dfo research group uh so that was uh, pretty great you mean sort of out away from the community for two weeks yes exactly wow. so there's only one small community yep. on Great Bear Lake, the yep. community of, of Delaney. There's only about 500 people there sort of looking after this whole lake. And so you, um, but the, the, the whole lake is their home. So, yes, you know, yes. the, 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 they'll, they just go across the lake or wherever. And so we had a couple of opportunities where we got to go out for, for extended um, stints out. And that, that was definitely the, uh, the, the highlight. Well, why I said that is because I thought, well, that would have created some some technical challenges for you guys filming. I'm just thinking battery life and those kind of things. But you know, that, so. that's that's absolutely true. Um, you know, we we uh, had a small solar system, right. but um, we were also with the uh, research. Uh, right. the DFO research camp and then the um, learning camp that the uh, community did, mm. and they both had like small generator systems to to keep those things going so we were able to to charge (laughs) uh things when we when we needed to right but i can tell you you know driving around the country in a in a van with all the gear we needed any time it was it was quite the challenge to pare that all down you know 
you know, to get it on to like a couple of person plane and then another couple of person plane. Like it was definitely a challenge to, uh, you know, oh, what's going to break? What's not going to break? Because something always breaks oh, yeah. during filming. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anything's break. Yeah. You, you mean you didn't just strap it onto Scooby-Doo's back and just take it? <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you anywhere we could fit like a T-shirt or, you know, a pair of socks that got that got in there. The most important stuff was yeah, gear. But sure. uh, we try to have backups, but <laughs> sometimes sure. the backup fail too so so listen you guys were there embedded with the community and dfo for a little while with them how did you see the relationship working with them because i think that that's a big part of this isn't it it's their relationship that that it it, it is it's the you know a big part of what biosphere reserves are about uh, is um research towards sustainable development or sustainability mm -hmm. so i i we get the sense that a big reason for becoming a biosphere reserve is that they they do want um researchers to to come and work with them and 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 help them figure out what's going on with climate change for instance how healthy are the fish but there's definitely a balance there between um traditional respect for wildlife uh and some of the um, techniques traditionally associated with fisheries science. And so, you know, that they're, I think, constantly trying to to find that what that balance is, um, not uh, disrespecting the fish, but still getting the information that you need in order to figure out, you know, what's going on with climate change, basically. Mm -hmm. And I think we've also seen a better integration across the board um, of traditional knowledge, you know, working with, you know, current kind of research practices um, and, and things like the community is developing a guardian program um, where it supports people, you know, going out on the land um, and, and bringing back the knowledge to the community, kind of going to, to parts of the lake that maybe aren't aren't visited so much and bringing that knowledge back and making sure that they're in contact with the researchers, you know, is what they're seeing mm. jiving with what the researchers are seeing. Mm. Um, so there's kind of a really interesting uh, thing happening. And, and I would say that this, especially with the research with, with D with the department of fisheries and oceans, it's been going on for a long time now. Mm. And so, you know, especially when they're out on the land, I mean, the, the people from Delaney, like they're really in charge. Like they, you know, right. the scientists are there, you yeah. know, and they're they're kind of getting what they're what they they need. But um, I, and I suspect they're they're actually moving towards, you know, maybe they don't, don't even need the, the mm. DFO folks right. there anymore, basically. Yeah, I, we we get a sense of that because some of the people in the community are are learning all of the steps that are needed and and uh, how to do all of the work that they were uh, they they're um, doing with 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 their research. I have to ask you one question, though. Uh, we're talking a lot about the fish. We see a lot of fish in the film. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of fish being uh, uh, skinned and, and taken apart and uh, being experimented on to some degree so that, that they could find out and do the research. Um, we see a lot of smoked fish. Um, how was the fish to eat? <laughs> spectacular spectacular there no other way to uh to to put that um mm. you know just uh very very good i bet always oh, very fresh too. yeah I bet. <laughs> so so how often do, do they go out daily to fish or how do they i think it depends on the family yeah. but uh we went out with um uh one uh person in in particular who who had nets that he checked every mm. day mm -hmm. um 
or or every every other day. And actually, that's one of the things with climate change is that they they definitely have to check their nets more yes. frequently, or else the fish will go are going bad um, sooner. And so they that's just one of the small changes that that they have to really make sure that they're they're on um, checking those nets really regularly because now the water, especially close to the surface yes. in the summertime is getting a lot warmer, like That's, the orders yeah. of magnitude, um, seven to 10 degrees yeah. warmer on, on the surface temperature. And so that that's having an effect on on the people there a bit. And that was very interesting to learn, to see, I guess it was like, I don't know, in the 1940s around, or and then see the comparison to now, because it was, it was a constant. The, the water temperature was constant from top to bottom. But then you see the difference that is changing from about the first uh, 10 to 12 feet of water and they re- it really fluctuates in, mm-hmm. in temperature, and and they and they were talking about how that could affect uh, the fish because a lot of the these fish like cold water, so they will no longer mm-hmm. be coming up near the, the 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 shallower areas if they have to stay in those colder temperatures. Yeah, the other the other thing that that has really impacted the community is you know the 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 ice goes out earlier every mm, year. Right. So the community is only accessible by ice ro- by plane yep. most of the time, but yep. by ice road for a couple of weeks every winter. Yeah. Um, and they depend on that time to, you know, bring in supplies, bring in fuel. Um, and, you know, more and more that that window for having the ice road is shrinking, mm. um, which is a concern to the community for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And now the other thing we, we haven't really touched on, it's not, uh, it's not a part of the visual part of the film, but it certainly is a big part of the audio side of things, and that is the narrator. You've got <laughs> Jim Cuddy from Blue Rodeo is narrating it, and and you know he's got he's got a great voice for this. It's not bad. It's <laughs> not bad. No, we 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 love Jim. Uh, he's he was been he's been extremely um, gung ho and and helpful through the whole whole process, mm. and uh, we re- really think that having his voice there. Mm. Um, Helps to to add a little bit of um, legitimacy to the the work that people throughout Canada are doing with with the biosphere reserves, and mm-hmm. I think really resonates with our uh, TVO audience, especially. So, right. Um, anything else you guys want that we haven't touched on that you feel that is is really sort of necessary for people to know as they watch the series and 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 get into this uh, that you want to mention that we haven't touched on? Sure. Well, I'll I'll, I'll say that there's there's one. Um, fairly remarkable thing from a biosphere reserve perspective mm-hmm. about SA2A that I'll, yeah. I'll mention is that there's there's actually only two biosphere reserves in Canada that, actually, that have the power of law. And so usually biosphere reserves are sort of honorific designations meant to get people um, inspired to work towards sustainability. But what the people um, of Delaunay have done, they've used their... Uh, treaty rights, basically, um, to create this thing called the Water Heart Plan. And that has the boundaries of the biosphere reserve in it. So by doing that, you know, it's enshrined in the constitution what they what they want uh, to do to protect their lake and so and the and the area around it. So the only other place that has the only other biosphere that has the power of law is actually the Niagara Escarpment with the Niagara Escarpment plan. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. here's this tiny that I mean that's the Ontario government dealing right. with that. Here's right. this tiny community that have done the 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 same thing over this massive area that's the largest biosphere reserve in North America. So not not only have they you know committed to doing this, they're 
they're they're doing it in 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 a big way. <laughs> so I just uh, thought that that would be worth mentioning. Mm. Okay. Maybe I could just add uh, one more note that Satu is just one of nine of the biosphere reserves that we look at in the season two of the series. And it's definitely a cross Canada venture, you know, from Vancouver Island to Southern Nova Scotia and, you know, conservation stories of every stripe. So something in it for for everybody. Yes, thanks for mentioning that. I was just going to do that myself. I was going to mention that there's other. I beat you to it. <laughs> you did. You stole my thunder. But um, yes, absolutely. The episodes uh, right up to episode nine all deal with the biosphere reserves uh, in, in uh, Canada, right? As you say, from east to west and north to south. So uh, definitely worth checking out. Uh, congratulations to you guys for doing this and, and bringing us these wonderful stories of hope. And uh, certainly with the one, uh, the one we've been speaking about, the episode one, the, the Satu Biosphere Reserve. And just a little bit about, give people a little bit more. You know, this isn't all, uh, all um, uh, happy, you know, that there's a troubled history of uranium mining in, uh, on the Great mm-hmm. Bear Lake. And the, and the Satu Dene um, uh, uh, of North America's largest biosphere reserve uh, have sought to protect the pristine waters uh, for all humanity. And that comes up later in as well when you see people from that are working on this that go south of the border to present and talk about and use uh, the Great Bear Lake as an example of, mm-hmm. of, of how things might be able to be turned around. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's really um, an inspiring story and the people there have done an amazing job. You have, and you guys did a great job bringing it to us and we thank you for doing that. Thank you, David. Thank you. Our pleasure. I've been speaking with uh, Yvonne uh, Driebert and Zach Melnick, and uh, they're creators of the uh, series uh, of Striking Back, and it's airing on TVO. And as we mentioned, uh, it is uh, United Nations World Habitat Day, so it's premiering on TVO today. And that's the first episode that we've been talking about. The season is going to be available on TVO uh, YouTube channel and is broadcasting again tomorrow night at 7 p.m. on TVO. And Uh, Thank you guys once again for taking the time to join us on the show. Thank you, David. Thanks so much. You bet. Listen, don't go away because coming up, the outgoing president and CEO of Inspire, Roberta Jameson, along with Valerie McMurtry, president and CEO of Children's Aid Foundation, is coming right up. So please stay tuned. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. Anywhere across the country, if you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it is a great pleasure to welcome two presidents and CEOs to the show today. That's great. I have with me uh, Roberta Jameson, the the president of Inspire, president and CEO. And also with me, we have Valerie McMurtry, and she's the president and CEO of Children's Aid Foundation of Canada. So first of all, welcome to both of you. We thank you both for joining us. Well, uh, Sago, David, I'm joining you from uh, my home territory at Six Nations of the Grand River. And uh, Sago, to you, uh, Roberta, and thanks for joining us from Six Nations. And thank you very much for having us today, David. It's great to uh, be included on your show. Well, 
Yeah, and Valerie, thank you for joining us as well. And and we're here, of course, because you're both involved with the topic of today. And that, of course, is that Roberta Jameson has received the Lynn Factor Stand Up for Kids National Award. So once again, congratulations to Roberta. Well, thank you so much. Let me let me say right off the top that uh, this honor is a is a tremendous, humbling one, and I share it proudly with the the entire Inspire team who work every day to support First Nations, Inuit, and Métis youth across Canada. Mm. Uh, A little bit more about uh, Roberta before we get into uh, speaking with both Roberta and Valerie. Uh, She is, of course, the president and CEO of of Inspire and uh, has been so for about 15 years. And uh, she is also the recipient of the 2020 Lynn Factor Stand Up for Kids National Award. And that award is uh, part of Children's Aid Foundation of Canada's Stand Up for Kids movement, which aims to mobilize Canadians who want to help change the future for the country's most at-risk children and youth. Now, the Lynn Factor Stand Up for Kids National Award is presented by the Children's Aid Foundation of Canada, which is why Valerie is here on the show with us as well. The leading charity dedicated to improving the lives lives of children and youth involved in the uh, uh, children welfare system. Now, um, of course, going back to Roberta for a second, um, Roberta, you've been, uh, you've been the, the president and CEO of Inspire for about 15 years, but you have many firsts under your, uh, under your name and behind you. Uh, you were the first national woman in Canada to earn a law degree. You were the first woman ombudsman of Ontario and the first woman elected, of course, to the chief of uh, the six nations of uh, the six nations of the Grand River Territory. Of, um, and I'm very proud to say that I had the honor to work with you briefly uh, in, at that time. And also you happen to be, of course, Mohawk from the Six Nations of Grand River Territory, as you pointed out at the top of the show, uh, as you're uh, coming to us from there today. And um, as president of Inspire, Canada's award-winning Indigenous charity, uh, you oversaw an eight-fold increase in the bursaries and scholarships awarded to Indigenous students. And um, it, it's such a, you, you've had this wonderful run at, uh, at Inspire, but you will be stepping down in uh, 2021 as well. That's true. I, uh, we, we, I'm simply delighted that we've announced the new president and CEO, Mike DeGagne. I mm-hmm. hope you'll interview him at just an incredible uh, indigenous education leader. He'll be wonderful. And yes, by the time I step down, I will have been here for, I can't believe it's 16 years. <laughs> I, I And uh, just before that, of course, I was chief of Six Nations and thoroughly enjoyed working with you, David, during that, uh, that period of time. Uh, I can say that the time I've had, one of the reasons why I went to Inspire is I've had a lifelong commitment to changing the whole education experience so that it's more um, inclusive of the worldviews of of our own people across the country. And so that coupled with the fact that, you know, I knew full well that our children were... uh, 
having uh, their experience with education chronically underfunded. The curriculum didn't reflect who we are. We did not see ourselves at the front of the classroom teaching. All of those things really uh, galvanized me to take on this role and grow the footprint of Inspire's work in education. And so I'm very proud that to date we've been able to raise and distribute more than $132 million through 42,500 bursaries. That's the good news. Uh, the bad news is we're not even meeting 25% of the need of the students who come to us. So mm. lots more to be done. And if you put that together with the fact that we're the fastest growing demographic mm. group in the country mm -hmm. and the majority of children in care in Canada are indigenous. Mm. So when the uh, Canadian Children's Aid Foundation uh, very generously bestowed this honor on me, it was really a recognition of the fact that education is the key and we've got to step up our efforts uh, in addressing the needs of Indigenous children in care. Mm. Right. And of course, with Inspire, uh, you, you mentioned uh, uh, youth, but uh, Inspire also helps uh, post-secondary and people beyond uh, in, in their, their lives beyond uh, uh, the elementary school level. Yes, we, we are supporting the efforts of learners uh, throughout their life. That's why a lot of our work is done with educators. We support teachers who are in the classroom teaching from K, from kindergarten through to post-secondary. We support youth in high school, attending high school with motivational conferences and in the COVID-19 world, doing a lot more online mentoring, access to resources, and then of course, bursaries at the post-secondary level, whatever the age mm. of the student. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's get over to Valerie for a second. Valerie McMurtry, President and CEO of Children's Aid Foundation of Canada. And uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. And it's the leading national charity dedicated to improving the lives of our country's most vulnerable children and youth, those who have experienced abuse and neglect. And through the support of generous donors, Children's Aid Foundation of Canada raises and grants funds and delivers a wide range of high-impact programs and services and transforming the lives of over 19,000 children and youth and 4,200 families each year. Valerie uh, leads the successful $60 million Stand Up for Kids Children's Aid Foundation of Canada's national campaign for children or ch child welfare, which was launched in 2014. So, uh, uh, Valerie, when, when, when the Children's Aid Foundation was uh, uh, looking at handing out this award, um, what, what made you, you look at Inspire and, and Roberta Jameson? Well, uh, we have this award now in the community for three years and we have an amazing committee. So the decisions are made by an external committee of volunteers who look in on nominations we receive each year. And we have, uh, just, it's, it's just really inspiring work in general because we had this year, uh, a really large pool of amazing nominations mm. of which Robertus was one. And we had 
six finalists of the award uh, who represented a really diverse group of incredible individuals. Some of them had lived experience in child welfare um, and some were in, in the early stages of their own careers in, in advocacy on behalf of children. And um, of course, Roberta's nomination stood out to the committee immediately because of this lifelong, I mean, Roberta just described what she's done and it's <laughs> awe-inspiring for mm. sure. And, and I think the committee was pretty blown away by uh, her commitment and her perseverance and her, you know, just this the scope of the impact she's having on the lives of Indigenous children uh, and, and bringing about over time, I'm sure, systemic change that, that will just lead to generations of really amazing Indigenous youth and, and leaders for our future. So um, I think, and the focus, by the way, on education is, is something that resonates very much in our foundation. So I think with this committee as well, our volunteer committee would see that the investment in education is possibly, you know, the, the single most important thing we can do to help uh, young people who are who are at risk uh, in the community and in getting their lives on track. It's something that once a young person achieves their education can never be taken away from them. Mm. So uh, for all these reasons, uh, Roberta's nomination was, you know, it's kind of a slam dunk, as they say, in <laughs> basketball. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, and of and of course the award comes with a, with a grant of fifty thousand dollars, and uh, Roberta, I understand you're going to be directing that towards Inspire for specific uh, purposes. Yes, absolutely. We'll be announcing shortly um, uh, what the fund is going to support, uh, but it will be. Uh, Clearly for bursaries for students, we'll announce something more about the criteria in the coming days. But you know, you may know Inspire has a great uh, opportunity to match gifts. So mm. the $50,000 will end up being 100 mm. and uh, certainly will provide meaningful support to a lot of young people. I mean, one of the things that we know uh, for a fact is that when our students are supported, they succeed. I mean, 90%, that's nine zero, 90% of the students inspire support through bursaries graduate. And they are, to Valerie's point, creating tremendous change in their lives, their families, their communities, and the country. And they will be the drivers of the kind of systemic and structural change that is sorely needed to uh, make space for Indigenous people to take our rightful place in the country. Mm. And at a time when, when the anti-racism movement is, is full force, I mean, I think the opportunity to invest in growing more Indigenous leaders who are educated, who have their identity validated and can take their place, seems to me to be a, a key to moving forward on dismantling some of, some of the systemic barriers in the country. Mm. 
Before we go any further, you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 95.7 in Ottawa. 106.5 in Toronto, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm your host, David Moses, and my guests are Inspire and President and CEO, Roberta Jameson, as well as the President and CEO of the Children's Aid Foundation of Canada, Valerie McMurtry. And we're talking about, uh, partly, about the Roberta Jameson's uh, receiving the Lynn Factor Stand Up for Kids National Award. Uh, Valerie, you had mentioned that this is the third year of this award. That's right, yes. We, we really saw establishing a national award as a, a natural step in our efforts to raise awareness for children and youth in really every corner of the country who are at risk or struggling. So we, we, we launched the Stand Up For Kids movement several years ago, trying to attract allies in our work to, mm. to have people stand up and really get behind kids at risk. So, so establishing the award made a lot of sense to us. Um, in part, I would say uh, the, the reason we wanted to create the award is that this work in um, supporting children is people don't, People who are good at it and passionate about it aren't doing it for awards per se. Um, and, and I think a lot of the, the work is on the ground and, and it's a bit fragmented. It's, it's overlooked. It's not well understood sometimes, the work in, in our child welfare system in particular. And so we wanted to create an award to put a spotlight on some of the amazing people in this country who day over day are, are out there uh, doing their very best for, for children and youth at risk. Um, and also with the hope that we can inspire more great leadership and, and to spotlight excellent programs and, and to sh- share awareness for that. Mm. Um, so, so these were all the reasons that we thought establishing an award would, would be a really good move. Um, so we, we set it up three years ago. Um, you'd probably be interested to know our previous, our first year, our first uh, winner of the Lynn Factor Stand Up for Kids was uh, Cindy Blackstock. Mm-hmm. Last year, it was Erwin uh, Elman, who is the now the former advocate for children in Ontario. So we've had a pretty good run by uh, year three to have Roberta join this, this uh, I would say, prestigious group of yeah. great people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can't go wrong with Cindy Blackstock. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned allies, and these people that you've just mentioned uh, all sound like like great allies to have. How do you see that relationship working with not only the people but their organizations? Yeah, it's a, well, it's a very important piece. I mean, we 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 really do need uh, allies who get behind this issue in Canada uh, at every level, and so giving out the award to leaders is a way to um, hopefully inspire others within their networks to, to do more, to, to reach further uh, and to create linkages is another big and very important piece for us. Uh, we're, we're a foundation. We're not that big uh, yet. I was so impressed by Roberta's numbers and the impact she's had with inspire. Uh, We are growing as an organization and we're growing because we are, successful in, in um, attracting allies and, and new partners year yeah. over year. Right. Um, R- Roberta, you're going to be into your 16th year in 2021, but that's also the year you have decided that you uh, are going to step down as the president and CEO of Inspire. Um, can I ask what, what made that decision come forward for you? Well, I think uh, 16 years in a job is... <laughs> 
long enough, don't you think, David? Um, I, I uh, lots of reasons. Um, Pre-COVID, uh, I was spending an, a great deal of time on the road, away from home. Mm. And uh, you, when you have to raise, I mean, we, try, we raise about $28 million a year. And uh, I have a great team supporting in that work, but it's incumbent on the CEO to be out and about, visible traveling coast to coast to coast. Mm. So uh, partly I wanted to have a, a bit more control over my schedule, mm. my life. <laughs> and uh, I have a fabulous uh, partner. Uh, I'd like to spend some time with who would like me to be at home <laughs> a bit more. Uh, and uh, I have a 93-year-old mother. I have mm. grandchildren. Uh, I just wanted a bit more control. Now, yeah. retirement's not in my DNA, no surprise to <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> so I won't completely retire. Uh, I'm, I'm pleased to say I am on the board of Deloitte mm. and uh, enjoying it tremendously. Uh, so, uh, that was a reason. And plus, I think it's, it's time, you know, I think leaders, uh, need to know when to step away. Mm. I certainly did that. Uh, when I became chief at six nations, I took it on for one term. I was clear going in what the goal was and clear that it was a, it was a one term commitment. Mm. And uh, I think if you go in clear-eyed on what it is you're trying to achieve in a role and, uh, and you know, are blessed enough as I was to work with amazing people and have wonderful donors, I'm telling you, Canadians are really committed more and more and more to supporting Indigenous young people. And it's been just wonderful to see. So... Lots of reasons. I could talk to you for an hour sure. or two about this topic, but it just all came together that uh, this is the time to step away. And I wanted to give the board also uh, ample time to recruit. So mm. we actually announced this uh, almost, well, it was announced early March yeah. 2020. Mm -hmm. And it had been on, in the works for a few months before that, but right. we public, made it public in March. And uh, lo and behold, we will have Mike de Gagne joining us in November. Yeah. So that's great. I'll uh, have a nice uh, time of, of transition with him. I know Mike. We honored him with a Public Service Award, Inspire Award in 2018. He's, uh, so I'm looking forward to welcoming him and supporting him in this, in this new role. The other thing we've done is um, I used to be the, well, I am the president, CEO, and the executive producer of the Inspire Awards, Yes, David. you are. Yes, you are. Mm -hmm. It's like madness. But so what we've done is we've separated those roles. Ah. And so Mike's coming in as president and CEO, which is a role large enough, believe me, uh, to take up 100% of your time plus. <laughs> and then um, we'll be shortly announcing the executive producer for the Inspire Awards. Great. So stay tuned for that. Um, 
That's very exciting. And I'm glad you've answered some of the questions about what's next, because I was going to ask you that. And certainly, Roberta, I, I think we all understand that, that uh, retirement is not in your DNA. So I, I think that's why I was going to ask you what would be next. Uh, but certainly, stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> you bet. But uh, congratulations to you, you know, on, on all your accomplishments and, and of course, uh, into the future. And, uh, you know, and, and I'm sure that uh, Tom's going to be very happy to have you uh, uh, for a little bit of time before you find your and sink your teeth into something else. <laughs> well, let me say I want to congratulate the Children's Aid Foundation for your acknowledgement uh, of the tremendous needs of Indigenous children. And uh, with Cindy Blackstock, I mean, she is just an incredible mm -hmm. uh, leader, breaking barriers, fearless. Yeah. And, and this year to have humbled me with the selection and thanks for continuing to shine a light on Indigenous youth and children in care, and the fact that, you know what, change is achievable. We just have to get behind it every day. Thank you. Valerie, I'd like you to, to comment on that, and we'll leave the last word to you. But before we do that, um, uh, Roberta, I really would like to continue our conversation at a later date to catch up on things. There's so much we could talk about in terms of education and about, uh, you know, the successes as well as the the deficiencies that are still out there that, that can be accomplished and need to be accomplished for Indigenous uh, First Nation, Inuit, and, and uh, Métis youth out there in, in Canada. Uh, Valerie, uh, just answering to what uh, Roberta had said yeah. there. Well, well, I just want to say thank you for those kind words, Roberta. I, I will say that our foundation has a lot more work to do. And we, I mean, we do believe that all children and youth in our country, regardless of background, should have access to services and items necessary for their own healthy development and well-being. But there's absolutely no question that Indigenous children are overrepresented in the child welfare system. Our, our foundation is committing to do more. Uh, we have made it a strate strategic priority of our own, uh, you know, five, next five years to really target funding and supports and strategies to build new relationships with Indigenous-led child welfare organizations so that they can uh, receive, you know, whatever we have to share to, to address the unique needs in of their children in, in their own communities. And uh, we're fully committed to this work and, and we have, and we know, you know, this is, we have really quite a lot of work to go. So I appreciate your kind words, but I want to also say that our foundation is on its own journey to uh, to to it within reconcil the reconciliation work, but but beyond that, into um, really putting our best efforts against the communities that need our our support for their children. Great, thank you both so much for taking the time to join us on the show today. We very do much appreciate the time that you have done uh, and taken the time to join us on the show. Uh, I have been speaking with the Inspire President and uh, Chief Executive Officer, Roberta Jameson, as well as the President and CEO of the Children's Aid Foundation of Canada, Valerie McMurtry. It's been a pleasure to have them both on. And I, I can't think of a, a maybe a better way, uh, Roberta, for you to uh, uh, perhaps uh, exit uh, Inspire, as you will be in 2021, uh, and handing over things to Mike uh, Degagne. Uh, and you're right, I would love to be able to speak with him and have him on the show. It would be great to talk with him. But uh, receiving the uh, Lynn Factor Stand Up for Kids Award and National Award, a great way to, to maybe 
um, end at least 2020 for you. Thanks again to both of you for joining us, and uh, thank you for listening to Moment of Truth uh, each and every day here on Element FM. I'm your host, David Moses. We'll see you next time right here on Element FM. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.